podcast and internet audio program produced by The Daily Dot and brought to you by Internet Audiobooks. Penguin Random House Audio produces more than 1,000 audiobooks every year that you can listen to in your found time while you drive, work, or shower. That's right. Go back in time and tell your grandma that in the future you can listen to John Grisham while you soap your hoo-ha. I bet she never saw that coming. Listen to old favorites and new classics in the audiobook apps that you already use. Audible, Barnes & Noble, or Penguin.com. Or browse the selection of new mysteries and thrillers at PenguinRandomHouseAudio.com slash TwoGirlsOnePodcast. And now the hosts who are anything but random, Alison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula. Hey everybody, I'm Jen. That's at J O O N B U G G E R on Twitter. <laughs> and I'm that's Allie. Right. I'm Allie. And that's at, at Allie Gold, A L L I G O L D on Twitter. You're, you're plugging at the top of the show. We haven't even started. I know, Matt. We've let it happen. Let it happen. Let it happen. We're just going to do subliminal messaging. Hey, tweet at us. Send us a tweet. Tweet, 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 tweet. Cool. It's very thirsty. But, and, but the real I mean, point is that we're, we, we want to hear from you. We do. We yeah. want to talk to you. We're just talking to we ourselves. Talk, to talk, talk, talking in circles. We want to talk to you. Yeah, let's have a conversation. Let's talk with you. Matt, you know, we should one day have just a, um, an audience member as our guest. Just some, just to talk to Ooh, them about. Ooh, that'd be fun. What, oh, no, no. Okay, what it, okay. What that's like. Yes, yes, yes. Let's create a competition, yeah, yeah, yeah. though, to choose the audience <laughs> member. Okay, yeah. audience members, stay tuned. More on this later, unless you guys want to figure it out right now live. Since we're plugging, if you'd like to be considered to be on the show as an audience member, join our Discord server, discord.gg slash 2G1P. That's where all the real fun times are happening. And uh, let us know why we should consider you. I want to tell you all something beautiful that can only happen on a podcast. It is yes. so fucking hot where I am right now. I'm taking off my pants as we speak. Oh, wait, <laughs> are you pants? at your office or are you at home? You're at home. You're at home. No, I'm in my office. Okay. Anyway, I'm in my well, office. You're in, pri- you're in private. Your privates are in private. I'm okay. totally kidding. I'm not at the office taking off my pants, but I am at home and it's so warm here. I'm taking off my pants and now I'm podcasting pantsless. There's a pantsless <laughs> podcast. Out <laughs> oh without a pant. Oh my god! Okay, cool. Are we? Two girls, no pants. Yeah, and one podcast. So Ali and I <laughs> performed the internet for a long time. We would take things on the internet and uh, use it as our script, like a Reddit thread. Uh, did you guys hear that squeaky noise? Yeah, what was that all about? Is that what happens when your pants come off? <laughs> she just slides them off. They they squeak. They're so That's the they're sound so tight. my vagina makes <laughs> <laughs> when it when it gets freedom. Like <laughs> for everyone who's interested, I'm still bronchial. I'll still be coughing during this podcast, but I won't be wearing pants. Keep Go on, Jen. So Ali and I used the internet as our script in a show called Blogologs. It was live. We did it in front of an audience for a lot of years in New York, and we traveled around to do it some too. And then from there, we created a web series that's on hoohaha.com, and it's called Two Girls, One Show. We interview people from different communities and then we go on scripted adventures all to do with the internet. And now here we are Two Girls, One Podcast teaming up with Mr. Matt Silverman, who is here with us, as you know by now. Hey, at, Hi. At Matt 
underscore Silverman on Twitter. Tweet at me. Oh man, how cool would it be? He's active. He's active. Yeah, plug it. Plug it. We're still plugging. Plug it. Okay, cool. Um, I wish you could just be at Matt. That sounds so cool. I know. What asshole has at Matt? We got to find out who has at Matt. Dick. That's an early adopter for sure. Yeah. Um, you know something we haven't really talked about on the podcast, but I think is somewhat relevant that we named our show Blogalogs because it was fucking 2011 and everybody was blogging. I think it's just like an interesting testament to how quickly things have changed on the internet and the way stories are told, etc. That now that title's kind of outdated. You remember when blogs first came around and it was sort of like taboo, like it, it was cheesy to have a blog. We're like, oh, you have a blog, cool. Oh my gosh, and then, I like, remember. They became super popular. I remember in college, we found someone's blog and we were like, oh my God, he has a public diary and we couldn't believe it. Oh my God. What did he write about? He wrote a lot about like mental health and some really personal stuff, which now is normal. But at the time it was like nobody, it was like totally bizarre. Yeah, it was completely taboo. In a public forum. Oh man, Ali, you never had a blog, right? No, but only recently I've been thinking that maybe I should start writing because I think you know. I have some rants, like I have some like standard rants what? that I go what? on, you know what I mean? Yeah, you stick it in a blog. You know, like Medium or something, I don't know. Mm-hmm. If only there was a place where you could talk openly, like your own forum, where you could say whatever you want and lots of people could read it or listen to it. If only you had that. Yeah, I, I don't like think that exists. Like a show or something? Yeah. Maybe a podcast? Let's maybe see what you guys are doing. The internet. Just the a internet. A podcast yeah. where it's just Allie ranting? <laughs> It's your show. You could go ahead and rant. What's your rant? What's your latest rant? rant. Uh, well, my latest rant is about the Me Too movement. Um, uh, I think, okay. yeah, I, I, it makes me really angry. I think it's a fucking low bar. Everybody is celebrating because, wow, now women speak up about assault, which is really a step up from, I don't know, murder. And uh, everyone's celebrating that when a woman speaks up about assault, physical or sexual assault, a man sometimes, occasionally, but probably not, might maybe get in a little bit of trouble. And that's, that's where we're at right now. And I get that it's a step, but I just think like no one's talking about the fact that that's actually a really low bar. And it's also for the most part celebrities, which is fantastic, but like it does not affect our lives, like for the 99% of us going every day um, up against hurdles as women, getting rejected from jobs, like not getting promotions, like this shit is real. There are things that have happened to me recently and to me in Jen where we have been rejected because we are female, which I can't, I'm not even like allowed to name on this podcast. And it's like, nobody's that, that's something that's like, it's just affects everyone. I don't know. It's just like part of the conversation, but it makes me really angry that it's like, wow, we're celebrating that when a woman gets assaulted, someone might get in trouble, but probably not. Ellierants.com. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a bad rant because I'm like bronchial, but you know what I mean? Like like the Me Too movement actually, and Trump has made me realize that I am a second class citizen in a way that I did not notice before. Mm-hmm. And look, don't get me wrong. It's good that it's happening, but it's made me realize that we are fucked. I have a question um, as an observer and supporter. Um, I, I feel like those conversations you just uh, named, those issues you just named, are being carried along with Me Too, meaning I'm seeing so much more discussion, writing, and chatter about um, equal pay and things of that sort because Me Too like exploded in the last year or so. And so, do do you do you think what's your solution? Like, how do we how do we have more of that, or how do we address it better? I don't I don't have a solution yet, but I feel like it's like people are 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just think there's like really not a general awareness of how far behind women's rights actually are. And the fact that women's rights is actually a relatively new movement. You know what I mean? When you really look at it in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things. And I think it's, I think we're a lot further behind than people are talking about. Yeah. I mean, and that's not even to mention like all the intersectional things like with that, that, you know. Yes. Thank um, you for bringing that up. Yeah, for sure. And like, I, I mean, I think just on a daily, daily basis, something everyone can think about doing every, like every single person it would be great if we just talked to one another more and asked a lot of questions and like uh, didn't like interrupt people or like assume that we know what they're going through, but really just listen. I know that sounds like fluffy, but like in terms of some of the work that I've been doing out in the world and Ali's been doing and, and teaching some of that stuff, it's amazing the kind of conversations that you hear open up when people just listen to one another talk. <laughs> like a lot of people aren't even aware that there is a, a, ge- a gender pay gap or they don't think it exists or like somehow they don't think it applies to their particular workplace or something like that. I think it's like, like imaginary. That. Yeah. But if you really just ask the yeah. people you work with and you hear and you get the hard facts that they're not making as much as you in the same job then you know it, you can't deny it so my friend just found out she's making thirty thousand dollars less than her male colleague that's insane yeah. and and like there's a lot of different issues of course right like women not negotiating etc cetera, etc cetera. but the, the there's a lot of recent studies that you and i were reading that a big part of the problem too is that well-intentioned men think that they're not part of the problem or that there isn't a problem. I have a question about the wage equality thing. Um, uh, which, and I, just I, so we're all clear, I am I am answering with no pants. Go on. <laughs> got, got it. Okay. I, as someone who employs people, um, I don't own a company, but I, I manage people and have built teams. And I, I also cast people in various uh, projects, right? Um, and I'm casting a project right now. And I threw it out to uh, a group of actors and I said, you're my top choices. You are great. Let's do this. Um, What's your day rate? And a man said a certain number and a woman said a significantly lower number. I did not impose it. Um, I just said, what's what's the number? And I got a smaller number. And and so uh, I hopefully did the right thing and said, hey, actor B, who is a woman, we're actually concerned about union factors and this rate is a bit higher. So you know what? I'm just going to make sure everyone gets the higher rate and you're included in that and we're good. Great. But as a, if I were not that person and as a business, as a business and a business person looking at a spreadsheet and I said, Hey, what's the, what's the charge of your service that you're providing in this case acting? And someone says, this number and I'm like, great, I can save X dollars totally, by just totally and you this should. perfectly perfectly yeah. good number. And you so should. I'm trying to reconcile that like I want to be socially conscious, but like I'm also running a business yeah, here. And if I can things. save money and the person doesn't know, yeah. what's the what's the difference? Totally. I think one women do need to and I am guilty of this, especially in my twenties. I lowballed myself constantly. I think I still do. I think women need to ask for more. But I also think um, and I don't know how to fix this. There is still an atmosphere where when women ask for things, they're seen as pushy and they do mm-hmm. potentially lose the gig. So I mm-hmm. think men need to be taught to reframe how they see women so that women can ask for more, but then women have to ask for more. That's what I think. Generally, that's a, think. That's a perfect answer. That's, that's perfect. perfect. Yeah, I have nothing to add Thank that. you. Yeah. But I hear you as a business person. Yep. You should say yes. You should take the lower rate. I want to get into the the new. Your answer was perfect because it is nuanced and 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 meaningful. And I I'm I'm concerned about the the the, the discussion around this issue and me too in general is like there's a bunch of men in a boardroom keeping women down and like that is definitely happening. 
but it's not the it's not i don't see that as the main problem i see it as a complicated confluence of gender problems that in a totally. when you have a nuanced discussion about market forces and women valuing themselves and men perceiving women your yes. answer is the right answer but then we get on twitter and people are just shouting at each other and your point is never right. made right well, thank you. Um, so I should not take my rant to Twitter. Um, we've narrowed <laughs> God, down no. that medium. I also want to say, because Jen brought up intersectionality, which I think is so such a great point because we don't talk about it. And on this podcast, if you look at the thumbnail, we are two white women. The wage gap actually is different. It's broken down by race. So that, um, I think it's 78 cents to the dollar and everyone is quoting it. And that's actually only for white women. And people just throw mm. it out like it is the number. But it's significantly lower for people of color. Um, although I do want to say that for Asians, it's 90 cents to the dollar. Yeah. So go get it, Asian girls. <laughs> can, can you define intersectionality? I don't know if I've heard that term before. Oh, shit. Jen, take it away. Take uh -huh. it away. Well, I don't want to be the voice of this necessarily. So, you know, please, listeners, if you oh, yeah, if you have a different true. way to define it, like, let us know. But for me, it, it means uh, that it would be the that all issues are sort of exist at the intersection of a lot of different identities and factors. And, uh, you know, we tend to look at it through like the like um, the lens of like white people, <laughs> but um, always to think about like how these things would be affecting people of other colors or other gender identities, for example, and that it's never just one one thing. So like when we talk about feminism, a lot of people think about like white feminism, but really feminism affects all women. So there, there's just so many different perspectives that need to be taken into account when you, when you talk about it. This should have been our conversation before like the Wikipedia edit-a-thon, like one of our more feminist episodes. As usual, Allie went off on a massive tangent. So Jen, why don't, why don't you break it down and tell our listeners who we're going to hear from today? Yeah, so we are speaking today with Uba Butler, who is a writer and uh, he's a filmmaker and we'll let him tell us everything that he does. But what we're talking to him today about exactly is this incredible prank that he pulled off. He opened a fake restaurant in London and he propelled himself to number one on TripAdvisor. But it was a fake restaurant. It didn't actually exist. In fact, uh, it was based on he he created a fake website for it and called it the Shed because it was based on a shed that he was living in in London. Um, I think made it like appointment only, so he didn't need an address that sort of thing, which we'll hear a little bit more about soon. But the kicker, guys, is that he actually had to open the restaurant at a certain point. Um, so we're gonna hear how the heck he pulled off that prank and uh, how this all propelled him to international fame. Excellent. I'm so excited. No trivia today because I want to get right into this interview, but we do have to take a quick break. This is the greatest day of my life. There's no trivia. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I'm so happy. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, we'll, Thank we'll, you. we'll be right back after the break. All right, friends, there are only so many hours in a day and we have a new life hack for you. New right. life hack. You heard it here. 2G1P. Tell them what it is, Jen. So in order to be able to do this, you need to have good hearing in both ears. We're just going to throw that out there. In your left ear, you listen to Two Girls, One Podcast, just like you're doing now, right? You get that cool sense of relaxation. You have a few party anecdotes to break out this coming weekend. You know, Two Girls, One Podcast. Exactly. Two Girls, One Podcast. It's your ASMR ear. Just kidding. In your right ear, you listen to Great Works of Fiction with Penguin Random House Audio Books. So, Ali, what would you listen to in your right ear? Oh, wait, us? Was that my left ear? <laughs> <laughs> I got two ears and it's really overwhelming. I would, uh, well, right now um, I'm listening to a new book. It's called Educated. What is Educated about? And it's about someone who gets educated. 
No, it's really interesting. You guys should check it out. It's by Tara Westover, and it's about a woman who, you know, gets educated. I won't tell you any more than that, but it's good. You should trust me. Go check it out. Well, you know, she's like homeschooled and raised in the middle of nowhere and finally gets educated, and it's really amazing. You told me about this. This sounds incredible. So go to penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash two girls, one podcast. You can also go to uh, Audible, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you would find audiobooks to check some of these titles out. Enjoy, y'all. Let us know what you think. Okay, everyone, we are so excited to have with us Uba Butler, who is a writer, filmmaker. Uh, he does a lot of work with Vice. Welcome, Uba. Hey, thanks, everybody. <laughs> Hi. Uba, you are the ultimate prankster, and I am so excited to meet you. How can you be sure that this is me? I don't know. Very, I will never know. <laughs> but tell Uba I said hi. Okay, uh, I would. I'll try, but he's 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 a bit of a nightmare to get hold of, as you guys know. I know. God damn it! All right, so let's start from the beginning for our listeners. You, at some point, were hired to write fake TripAdvisor reviews. Is that correct? Yeah, that that's right. Um, about sort of, I don't know, like five years ago, I decided, despite the fact I had no formal qualifications or reason to do this, I decided that I wanted to be a writer. Um, and uh, I started writing, kind of doing anything I could to get to kind of get by. Um, and one of the jobs that I did was uh, to write fake positive reviews for restaurants on TripAdvisor and just lie that I'd been to their restaurant. And uh, yeah, that that was my murky past. Were you working independently, or it was for a company? Uh, it was like uh, basically you have like third-party websites in the UK. Definitely have them in the US as well, where you can just just like connect people with freelancers with work. And uh, this was one of like the few paid writing gigs I could see. How do they advertise? Because they can't really like right. They can't just be like, "Hey, we need someone to write fake reviews," or do they? Like, how did you land upon this reputable position? <laughs> Um, so you have like three third party websites, um, where people just post up like employers or potential employers or just random people just say like, Hey, I need someone to design a, I don't even know, a logo for my, for my, uh, spaghetti truck can, can, uh, and I'm going (laughs) to, I'm willing to pay this much money for it. But to be honest, it was very transparent. Like everyone, they were just like, I need, you need to have a multiple trip advisor accounts. Can you write? If you can write three or four reviews for the restaurant on here, they need to be like, you know, fully working sort of things that look completely normal TripAdvisor accounts. Um, yeah, and per per review that you write, it will give you like, so like 15 bucks, which is not much, but I was broke. So it's a... Uh... So they were totally transparent about this shady activity. Yeah, I think it's actually, it still goes on. It really, really does. Um the, Someone recently went to jail in Italy for basically having a company which which did this for people. But that was on a big... I mean, I was sweating a little bit when the news came out, to be honest. Oh. Um, but uh, it, it was he was doing it on a kind of industrial scale. And uh, yeah, he's gone, he's gone to jail. Wow. Wait, so how come TripAdvisor doesn't try to shut this shit down if it's so obvious? I think TripAdvisor is very neglectful of a lot of things and the way that their argument is like hey this fraud is not that common anyway so um like we should we don't need to worry about that um but you know actions speak louder than words and they're trying really hard to either bury or change after the silly thing that i did 
We actually, well, we had a live show for a lot of years in New York City, and we got flagged by TripAdvisor. Is that right, Ali? For because it seemed like maybe uh, our friends were posting reviews of us, which wasn't. Yeah, they thought true. we were having <laughs> fake reviews, and we actually weren't, and we got flagged. It's kind Whoa, of bullshit. Really? Yeah, yeah, are, yeah, yeah, really, really, really. And then meanwhile, people are doing did. actual <laughs> fake reviews and not getting flagged. TripAdvisor was like, there's no way this show is, is so good. There's no yeah. way these are all positive. Fuck these those girls guys. suck. Well, that, yeah. Maybe that maybe that turned in a new leaf. They're just saying everything's fake. <laughs> no, that was a while ago. <laughs> I wonder but, if they do just kind of think all clicks are good clicks. Yeah, so whatever. Yeah. You know, they're a big public company. Yeah, they should be better. I mean, their website looks like it was designed on like the intranet, doesn't it? It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, about through writing these fake reviews, what did you start to notice and like how the fortunes would change in these companies? And at what point were you like, I, I want to do something artistic and weird with this? <laughs> um, it's, yeah. So, I, I mean, in a previous life, to be honest, I'd worked in restaurants and I'd worked behind bars terribly, but I'd done it. And, um, it was kind of why this thing fascinated me was because I'd worked in environments where TripAdvisor is taken so, so seriously. And to see that, you know, this thing that everyone accepted as a kind of reality um, was was at least uh, partly false was really kind of fascinating to me. And I, I kind of had the idea that I... Um, that it was weird. I think TripAdvisor is really weird anyway, because it's like a pla- it's a platform which everyone uses, but the people who actually write the reviews tend to be like <laughs> just like whiny old introverted men. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's the- but you, you met a, you met a bunch of those people, right? I <laughs> Didn't did. You, like, yeah. Take them out. Yeah, I yeah. did. Um, Are we going to go there with that prank? Because I want to hear about that one too. So so yeah, I was. Um, I was fascinated by TripAdvisor because it was something that I took seriously because of the things we've spoken about. But then, yeah, when I started, sort of became a writer, I was doing things for Vice, and it, I came back to TripAdvisor because I was working on this other um, this other project about it, uh, which took ages. But basically, what it was uh, was um, I kind of tried to find the biggest uh, dickheads on TripAdvisor, like people who always leave like one star reviews. And then my idea was to to approach them, invite them to dinner, take them out to dinner, and then review them like they do a restaurant. I'm sorry, that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> uh, but like one of the guys that I had was so interesting, and the other two just seemed like dickheads who worked in finance who had too much time in their hands, which is probably representative. It was weird how 66% of the people I took out were in finance in the city. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I guess it was kind of just like, yeah, I, I kind of it kind of is. When I look back at the, that work, I'm like, this is good, but it, it need, the idea is better than the work, probably. Um, but um, why? Why do you think the idea is better than the work? Sh- I mean, should you have? T- the, the, yeah, the concept is fantastic. Yeah. Should you have taken more of them out, like gotten more of an array of people? H- how did you even find the ones that you found? One of the things that I really struggled with is I was working on this piece for so long, and I was sifting through TripAdvisor so much, and I was just like, can I have some? Please have some data about your biggest. Like dickheads, please. And, uh, <laughs> um, and then they got in contact with. They came back to me and were like, they rang me up and they were like, "Look, we're not going to give you that data. And what are you doing? Like, what are you up to?" And that was like probably the worst thing they've ever done because I immediately was like, "Oh my god, I wasn't going to do anything that's going to fuck you around with you." But now I feel like I need to, and that brought me back <laughs> to this whole thing about um about the original the observation that i'd had about like writing the fake reviews and 
that was when I decided I want to see how much of this website is fake. Yeah, so just to answer your question, Ali, I, I now look back at things like that and a couple of other things that I've done and just think um, a little bit further. It went a bit further. I feel like I shouldn't have settled for the first two guys in the piece. Um, I should have met more. I should have had three uh, who were as interesting as the last guy. So so what was the deal with the last guy? He was so interesting. He's one of the most interesting people I've ever met. He was like, it's all absolutely awful. And, you know, it was just <laughs> like, just comment on how, how every restaurant that he's ever been in is basically a, like an insult to the culture of restaurants. <laughs> and uh, he saw it as like, I, t- I kind of got to the bottom of it and it was, I took him out and he, he, he insisted that we go to this place called Le Gavroche, which is a very fancy place in London. And I was like, oh, great. I'm just going to cost me a lot of money. This is, I am someone who doesn't suffer from public like embarrassment at all. I have no shame, unfortunately. Um, we could tell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, I this guy was the first guy who made me feel a bit uncomfortable. It was like going to dinner with like Larry David on steroids. Like it, it was just <laughs> like he said, like oh, we we want a glass of wine, and it took ages for him to get to the point where he wanted to order, which is again fine. I don't really care about that. And uh, yeah, he he basically was just saying to this 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 waitress, he was saying, you know, you know, is this the, is this all the wine that you have? Because I, I, you know, I've been in Michel Roux, who's a another chef, a famous chef. He's got his restaurants around London. You know, I went to Michel Roux's place the other night, and there was there was a bottle we could have got for thirty pounds. <laughs> and you know, this is the cheapest one you have here is is fifty five. And I just, you know, I just don't believe that you would allow a competitor to undercut you like that. And this kind of poor woman is, I don't know. And um, then. Was he negotiating or just being a dickhead? He was just being like, he just did not buy what they were. He was questioning everything. It was like, um, I can't quite remember. There were other things as well, but the, the wine story does, it carries on. But um, he was like, oh, I just, I'd let me have a look at that. She was like, we can bring you another menu if you like. He was like, yeah, bring me the bigger wine menu and whatever. And then the sommelier came over, like the head chef, the wine chef, and was kind of like, sir, this is, you know, sir, this is our cheapest uh, wine, and this is the big, you know, thing we do, and it's great. And they had this, like, showdown. This was going on for, like, 20 minutes. I had a recorder on, I looked down at it, and it was, like, it was, like, 45 minutes in. He was kind yeah. of just curious by everything about it. He was being so judgmental about everything. Yeah, I, I feel like he struggles with everything in his life, most likely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, everything must be a problem. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, like, so basically, he just kept on the sommelier came out. And then, and then, oh, no, wait, the wine menu he got from the sommelier then. So the sommelier was saying, sir, there is no other cheaper wines on this menu, I assure you. And he was saying, well, you know, if you've got a, a list, I can see it. And then the guy kind of begrudgingly bought him their full wine list. And this place has an insane wine list. And mm-hmm. uh, he can't, I'm at this point, he's got this fucking Bible of wine. And um, wines, <laughs> sorry. Um, and uh, he he's kind of like sifting through. And I've got kind of my head in my hands. And he's kind of just muttering about how there must be a cheap one. And after 25 minutes, he's with this book. He finds the cheaper wine. <laughs> he found it yeah he found it which is so funny and all of a sudden like i wasn't (laughs) embarrassed but i completely admired him i just thought this is so fucking bizarre but it's really funny that you put (laughs) you've done this and um yeah he brought the what's over and he wasn't too much of a dickhead about it he was kind of just like oh you know what we'll go with this one you know it is a cheaper wine after all and uh after that i was like this guy (laughs) is a fucking enigma 
And uh, yeah, we had at that point, we were talking about for half an hour or something, this really romantic restaurant, by the way. And I'm just here with this random guy and it's like, like his mid 60s. <laughs> and um, he was just talking. He talked quite loud. I think it might be slightly hard of hearing. I can't tell, but he talks quite loud. He was just like, at some point, he was talking about the price of macchiatos in London and how, you know, if you, you can get a good <laughs> macchiato for, you know, two pounds. But, you know, they'll charge. If you don't watch it, they'll charge three pounds for it. You know, that kind of thing, which is so nuts. And um, <laughs> yeah. at this point, this kind of couple who were next to us kind of like just said like, hey, look, can you keep your voices down? And he was like, I suppose if I was just born that way. <laughs> and, then they, and then they were just like, look, you know, you're having, I know you're having great conversations about macchiatos, <laughs> but... Um, you know, we're trying to actually get some food here and like that kind of thing. And he was just like, basically like, what, what about if I like talking, that kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> again, it was just like crazy. And anyway, they ended up being moved. And this is very fascinating, this guy. And um, sorry, I've taken ages on this. No, that's okay. Um, but, but like, No, it's so it's good. So good. And fascinating because he had a point and like he was right in some circumstances, but like so annoying. But also kind of a dick. No, he's a total Wait, but so- did he know that you were reviewing him? Yeah, he knew. Like, he knew that there was something up. Maybe I didn't specifically say it in those ways, but if you read the piece back, I'm kind of more just trying to get to the bottom of who he is and why he does this. And I think he knew that, yeah. He didn't take me to Lego Rush because he wanted to do a free, expensive meal. He, he was like, this is what he wanted because he wanted to go and test it. And um, I had this conversation with him towards the end of the night. And, you know, he, he, he has this kind of like, um, noble sufferer thing about him, you know, he, that, that he is putting himself through all of this because he wants to find the perfect restaurant for everyone. And he is like the he takes TripAdvisor. There's, a, I reckon, an idea where where someone would release a one star would do one star reviews as kind of vengeance and because they're they're a dick. He does it. But he takes his TripAdvisor so seriously. He had this little notebook on the inside jacket that he had these page after page after page of these restaurants he had made notes about that he was still writing his reviews on and. Um, towards the end of the night he kind of i said you know what what is why did you do this and then he explained his conquest about trying to find the restaurant and um i probably made it sound more romantic than it than it i probably now so make it look at it back more romantically than what it was but i said to him you know so what what is the best restaurant you've ever been to then um steven and he was like well this place <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, no way, astounded because I'd seen his behavior all evening, which I admired by this point totally. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was like, and how many stars would you give it? And he like took a gulp of his wine and was like, three stars. <laughs> Somebody has to hold so, us to a high standard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the fact that he he was so interesting, right? I, I could talk about it for another 10 minutes, but like that is, I needed three of him at minimum. A, a different with different motives uh, to make that piece as good as it needed to be. Right. But so he thinks he's doing a public service. He does. Right. Yeah, he does sound sort of noble. Like maybe a statue <laughs> yeah. will be erected to him I one day. I wouldn't go that far. I really <laughs> love the division on him. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into the the real deal, the prank of all pranks, the shed. Yes. Let's just start from the beginning. So you'd been diving into these fake reviews and, you know, tell our listeners what happened next, because I've already gone down a lot of wormholes. In <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'd been doing these fake reviews in the past. I slowly, I had my first commission for Vice, which we'll maybe talk about in a bit. Yeah. I kind of got into this thing where I started to develop my style for Vice and da, 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 da. And then one day 
I just came back to TripAdvisor after having done that piece about reviewing the worst TripAdvisor reviewers. And yeah, I just started to think again, you know, how much of this platform is fake? Um, you know, the reviews, I know that they're fake, or at least some are fake, sorry, uh, because I'm responsible for them. <laughs> um, the reviewers could I be... know they're fake because I wrote them. <laughs> yeah, okay. exactly. These are fake because I wrote them. <laughs> um, and then, like, the reviewers could also be... You can have multiple accounts. Like, that's really easy to have. I have multiple accounts. But then it, I kind of came back to this thing of just, like, you know, restaurants, like, Surely you cannot fake the existence of a restaurant on TripAdvisor. That that seemed like a, a step too far. But I kind of I decided I wanted to like look into it. So I just decided to kind of, you know, test how do you get a restaurant verified on TripAdvisor? And this would have been like April 2017, I think. Yeah, it turns out it's actually pretty simple. Like all you need is like you need a name. And uh, I was living in a shed in... Um, in a, in a suburb of London called Dulwich at the time. So I called it the Shed at Dulwich. Apparently I have, like, <laughs> no imagination. Um, and uh, you need, like, an address. So I didn't even put the name of, of, of my specific, like, the door. Like, I just put the name of the road, which was just so ambiguous, but they, it was fine. Um, you need uh, a, a number. So you need, like, a, an associated number with it. Um, I basically just went to like the local local supermarket and bought like a really cheap SIM card, put it in like this little like burner phony type looking thing that I had lying around, but definitely not a burner phone. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, then you needed a website. So I kind of spent a, an afternoon looking at like fancy restaurants um, websites and they all look like eerily similar. Like they've been designed by like, a guy who watches food shows one-handed. <laughs> it's so, so sexual. Uh, but, like, it's just, like, I made, basically, I just went on to Squarespace, good old-fashioned Squarespace, and um, I'm not sponsored by them, by the way. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, just, like, I bought www.theshedatdulwich.com, the domain. Um, I uh, made the email. That... I'm still laughing about your masturbation. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. <laughs> It's like soft, soft focus, just like, you know, looking like the food is like taking photos of your food like it's your, like, I don't even know, like it's your, it's in the back of a phone book or something. Yeah, it's another one. Um, Love it. Yeah. Okay. So you bought the yeah, website. Yeah, I bought the website. Uh, I started designing it and basically started, came up with these kind of touch points of concepts about the shed um, and like, like things like you don't order meals at the shed you order moods <laughs> so like uh, it's like a very intuitive menu um so like you uh or the, the waiters have to be all uh, very intuitive um so like you can order like comfort and it, and it like the the examples of dishes on the website was like comfort um it's like soup or something like that served in an egyptian cotton bowl <laughs> which like <laughs> under any fucking scrutiny would com would obviously clearly everyone would realize that uh. can't hold suit um, <laughs> but, uh, you know yeah you and then like uh empathetic which was like vegan clams or something and like just these <laughs> different things the different like meat mood meals that i used oh as, a, and as an example on the website and um like i did these food photos for it where 
um, like it looks like kind of fancy again, like sexualized food. And um, but but like you know, soft focus looks delicious, all that sort of stuff. But it's actually like cropped images of like bigger images where you can see what I've made the food out of, and it's all stuff that would like would kill you. Kill you? <laughs> yeah, like stuff like uh, urinal cakes, which is like you know the things that you put in like uh, urinals so that they to clean make them. it not smell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, like, I made like pan fried shallots out of those, um, <laughs> and then like. Uh, yeah, just things. Didn't like that. one of them have your foot in it? <laughs> that's right. It was like you zoomed out. It was like your foot. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, one of them was a uh, like a ham hock, and like it, like you know, ham hock is like meat with an egg on it, right? And uh, and I like, but basically, yeah, this is our ham hock. The shed's ham hock, but if you zoom out, it's just literally my foot. <laughs> by all accounts, my foot is disgusting. But the, the thing is, is like I actually. Some people are into that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, if people are into food. They can be into feet, I'm sure. Uh, but like, yeah, we, that was one of our early episodes. Oh, um, really? Yeah, no, yes. Oh, um, gotta listen to that. But our, I do, th- I do want to tell our listeners to go look up these images because the zoom in, zoom out on them is amazing because it does look like delicious food, and then you <laughs> zoom out and it's your foot. Yeah, like I really like the idea of. Uh, I just like the idea of. I mean, the original idea I had for it was like, I love the idea of people salivating over my elbow. Um, <laughs> but like, I I shaved my elbow and made it, and it just didn't look enough like me. So I went with the foot. Um, and, you learned uh, so yes. much. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you learned so much through this process about yourself, really. Yeah. I know. It's kind of like I was sat there shaving my elbow, uh, putting like oil on it, and I was like, "What am I doing with my life?" <laughs> my, my granddad. My granddad. My, <laughs> Those are the best yeah. moments. Whenever I'm like doing something really absurd, I'm like, "What is?" I know it's, that's. I think that's the right path. Okay. So you took these photos. You upload mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah, I, I, so I basically, yeah, I kind of meticulously put this together, this website, um, and then I sent it all off to TripAdvisor in sort of April, or was it May 2017, and then three weeks later, I get an email, and it's like, well done, we're welcome to the TripAdvisor community, the Shed at the Lich, and I was kind of like, what the fuck, I did not expect that at all. Well, I mean, part of it is like, should TripAdvisor be stricter or is TripAdvisor just assuming that no one is going to these lengths to create a fake yeah. restaurant, you know? I I'm think not like sure. they're not mutually exclusive, are they? Like that they should be stricter and also, <laughs> yeah, you know, they're probably... The not- whole website shouldn't be fake. Got <laughs> it. Cool. So um, did, you, okay. did you have a ranking when you started or when did you get your first ranking? Yeah, it was like... And what but- was it? Bottom of the yeah. pile, like eighteen thousand out of eighteen thousand restaurants in London. Okay. And um, from there, I was kind of like, well, what what is the next step? Because I wasn't expecting this step. And then I decided that I wanted to get some fake reviews for it up. Um, and you knew so where to go for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but but well, yeah, it was kind of mine was kind of like more DIY and nice, but um, it was like. Uh, I basically got like wrote this manifesto of what an ex- what an experience at the shed was should, what the review should mention essentially like the fact that like it's impossible to get a table has to be mentioned in every review um the fact that it's an appointment only restaurant like you you had to wait for a you can't show up because if people show up the game's up <laughs> um and uh yeah things just like weird things about like how the food is like how the food's homely and like it's al fresco and just shit like that and um i like wrote this kind of manifesto and like got in contact with all of the people i know like my family and my friends and like 
kind of sent it out, like kind of started picking people I trusted to write the reviews. Yeah, like, I mean, within six weeks, somehow we were like, I had about 20 reviews up and it was like, we were like number 1,500 out of 18,000 restaurants already by that point. Oh my God. Which was nuts. But it's like, that's totally abstract, isn't it? Like, the just a listing is, is abstract, but like, one day, like, everything completely changes and it's like when um the phone rings right and it's like not my ringtone but it's like it's the it's the ringtone of the number that the the phone that i bought for the shed and uh, i answer it and like on the other end of that phone is like an actual human trying to book a table at my non-existent restaurant (laughs) and that was like a big moment definitely and i was just kind of panicked and was like oh yeah the most interesting thing was the fact that she was going like oh hello there I know how awfully busy you are, but could I please have a, an appointment this Friday, please? Like that you were talking to me in your language, in the terms yeah. of like <laughs> in my mythology, yeah, right. in, like, in the, my my language, and uh, which was really fun. And then I, as I said, I was like panicked. Said I'm fully booked for the next six weeks, and uh, from there, I um, yeah, the kind of calls just gathered momentum. Like, this- but what happened? if you said you were booked for six weeks and people were like cool i'll take three months from now it's so weird yeah that happened started to happen quite a lot the bigger we got as well i i would just I, the bigger we got yeah the bigger we <laughs> it got doesn't even exist just me okay. on my own in a shed in my pants eating toast um but uh yeah uh, i know what you mean um yeah so what would you say when people are like, I'll take May. <laughs> when people, yeah, I yeah. just, this is, this is so stupid. I just say, oh, we don't take bookings that far in advance. <laughs> but then I, Logical. Yeah, it's nice, fucking ridiculous. Nice. But then I started, I said. Yeah, because that's, did people get angry? Because it's like, wait, you're telling me you're booked six weeks out and six weeks out, but you won't take reservations for seven weeks out. I started, I started, when it got out of hand, I started taking, e- I started taking emails and I actually just made a waiting list. <laughs> and um, it, yeah, I mean, I've not really thought about this in a while, but yeah, I, I, it is, yeah, that is true. I remember, say, remember saying that, like recording the calls and just being like, oh my God, this is so dumb. Like, what am I, <laughs> <laughs> like this under any scrutiny, it felt like, it always felt like I was going to get caught out. Like it was, uh, it, I was so panicked would, about would that. Would you have, would you have repeat callers? Yes. Yeah, I would. But like, I, I, I was get by the end of, by the time that that was starting to happen, I was getting so many calls on the phone anyway. You know, and from people like, you know, TV network executives, like using their work emails as well, like in the emails to try and like, uh, leverage their job to get like to ex- ex- to exercise their privilege <laughs> to get uh, to get a table at the shed and like you know like celebrities and bloggers influencers people like that mm-hmm. so like before like and then like people applying for jobs and like that sort of shit and um yeah by that point like when people started getting return calls and more things like that um it was kind of hard because people are like i really want it for this specific day in like two months time like please can i have that and then they'd ring back and be like i'm ringing again just about that thing like i i know that you guys but i'm like begging it and at that point you're like oh god i feel a bit guilty about this like just please leave yeah they're like putting on their to-do list to call the shed into yeah. you know they put up a google alert a little calendar reminder wait but you said you 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 created a wait list so did you tell some people like hey you're on the wait list like if there's room we'll yeah, call exactly. you back or something and then never yeah. call them back gotcha so how many calls were you getting a day at the peak i think that like I think it would have been, a, I mean, the best way is when, when it, after we got to number one, I left, um, so yeah, spoiler alert, 
yeah, it did get to number one after six months. <laughs> yeah. uh, and also, how did you get to number one? Were you just continuing through all this time to have fake reviews? Yeah, I kind of. It's kind of weird. It kind of because I was having to uh, earn a living at the same time as doing my nonsense. I'd kind of like spend a week on the shed, and then I'd go to have to go and do another feature or something like that. It, it, but then it was like it would kind of got to the point where it was kind of banging the door down, and I was like. You know, when you're like hungover in bed and like if someone's trying to book a table at United Eastern Restaurant, it's kind of like, oh God, come on. <laughs> um, so I left the shed phone at a friend's house uh, for a couple of nights. And uh, when I went to go and pick it up, like on a Monday, it had a, he like looked at me like thunder. He was so angry. And uh, it had 116 missed calls on it. Um, so, like, wow. yeah, that was probably, I, to be honest, I would say that would feel like the most. I mean, it could be anything up, it could be up to, you know, 15 to 20, but obviously at that point it was a lot more. It would have been about, that, that seems like it was like 50 per day. And how many reviews did you have when you were number one and were they all fake? N- I mean, I guess they were. They had to all no, be fake. They weren't. Well, they, yeah, they were. But, but, but no, some of them, start, this is so weird, right? I didn't put this in the, uh, the film or the article because it complicates the story too much is really confusing but you heard um, it here two girls one <laughs> podcast give us the scoop here we go <laughs> um and i started to get like reviews from like actually someone from like north carolina was the first one um from people who had definitely never been and i didn't i hadn't like i hadn't asked them to do it and there are people who had like low who reviewed loads of restaurants on their TripAdvisor. So like they were just pretending they'd been to the shed and said it was great just for the like cultural cachet, social cachet. So. Oh my god! Oh my god! Or were they fake reviewers? Yeah, it's they could they could have been right. It's so yeah. bizarre, isn't it? But they had no reason other than just to say I've been there that to leave the review. And I, there wasn't that many of them to be honest, but there was a handful, and that was that was really weird. You gotta reach out to them because that's fascinating too. Are they just doing it to like brag to their friends that they'd been to the number one restaurant in London and they'd never yeah, but been? I'm saying, we're, oh my gosh, were they fake? Those they people were, were creating fake, fake trips. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They'd never been to yeah, London. They were paid for it. <laughs> it's so weird. I don't know why that happened, but it was kind of bizarre. So when you got to number one, how many reviews did the shed have? Not as many as you'd think, and as I was saying. I would spend times on this um, and I would have to disappear for a bit, but I always knew that I didn't want it to go too quickly because uh, they would flag something up. Um, so I only had, to get to number one, it was 96 reviews. Wow. That was it. How is that possible? Because there were just 96 five-star reviews? Well, there was like a couple, there's about three or four four-star ones that I kind of, I asked someone, a few people did not give it five stars. To make it a little more realistic. Exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't, I cannot believe to be honest that um could, could we define what number one on TripAdvisor is does that mean the highest rated in a given time frame because i don't use the site so yeah. maybe define that yeah sure so TripAdvisor is a lot a lot like yelp and um number one in this in this instance was uh number one out of eighteen thousand restaurants in the whole of london I've heard that London has shitty ass food. Is that why? <laughs> um, They're all bad. I mean, to be honest, like the ones. Like the competition just sucks. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's just wanted, everyone just allowed this to happen. London's got really good Indian food, and basically anywhere where we were awful and owned, their food is great in London. <laughs> So I know, right? Yeah. Maybe edit that. Out. <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, so, sorry, just, <laughs> no, I like that. Um, so, uh, like the Indian food is really, really good. 
Chinese food is pretty good. Um, it's different to your Chinese food, though. Right, um, similar to New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like all you can get yes. amazing Italian food in New York, but that doesn't mean that like New York food is. The yeah, best well, it's food. like what? Yeah, like what is American food? Right. I guess like hot dogs and pizza. Anyway, right. okay. So you're number one. It's a money city, though. Ultimately, London is a money city, so uh, it's like New York, I guess. Like there is always going to be like you know Doctor wanker who has three michelin stars right. charging like you know at, at 300 pounds for a, a hat made out of uh, out of fucking i don't even know prawns <laughs> i'm so curious if real restaurants have reached out to you to consult because the thing is these things are ridiculous and hilarious but also like a restaurant that serves you food based on mood would be so fucking popular in new york and people you know what i mean like these trends are all you just you just identified all the trends as dumb as they might be. Have you had restaurants reach out to you to consult? Yes, yes, and I I always um, kind of uh, just make sure they know that I'm a charlatan and an idiot. Um, <laughs> and uh, but but the thing is, yes, loads. And I had loads of people who wanted to open up. A, I had a, a a guy in Brooklyn immediately after the story came out saying, "Can we open up in Brooklyn together a shed?" Um, who's like a restaurant investor and um, some a chef in I, I'm just trying to think of America based ones uh, yeah like a chef in in I always got a place in Manhattan who was like can you, you want to come and do a pop-ups here and like then then I've got like a <laughs> um, like a chain of Chinese restaurants uh, um, in China that are massive in China like fancy restaurants who want me to come and uh, like consult um, on, on how to open up in London uh, I had like restaurants in Dubai who have asked me the same thing. Yeah, loads. It's... Are you going to do any of it? No, maybe. I don't know. No, I, I mean, <laughs> go make some fucking cash. Know. You know what I mean? I mean, the thing is, right, is I've, I got a book coming out in, in America, actually, on the 26th of February. What's it called? What's it called? Plug your, plug your book. So I've got a book coming out called How to Bullshit Your Way to Number One. Yes. And it's just about, basically about the psychology behind the shed and my, it, my, like, my like curiosity and own like, morbid fascination in how i'd never achieved anything in my life and then all of a sudden when i didn't give a shit about what i do i was doing i achieved something quite good um and then kind of talks about that about abstraction as a tool and like basically it's maybe a touch nihilistic but it's like do not care about what you do and you will be able to do it and my my uh my idea is like i'm that's how i'm going to live my life from now on and uh, this is my this is my book where I'm laying out how I'm going to do that, and me basically just saying, just talking about the shed and where, what I what one can infer from the things in the shed. It's kind of interesting. I, I'm, it's kind of an interesting thing to to look at. But I guess it's like yes, abstraction can one can one utilize uh, you know gamifying the things that you want to do in a in like a, a healthy mm-hmm. way. No, it's so interesting, right? Because like when you care too much, you can mm. sabotage things really easily. I sabotage things left and right because I care too much. I'm gonna stop giving a <laughs> shit. There you go. That's it. And like, I do not give a shit about running restaurants, but I'm apparently can <laughs> all right at it. Um, so yeah, like as you said, like I have had a lot of offers, and it, I, I, I don't mind the idea of doing something. It's just like of, of consulting for someone if it's just coming up with ideas for people. I don't mind. Like I've been in meetings recently with big like brands and stuff who want me to come up with like beer adverts for them and this sort of shit. I'm like, Jesus, man, it's funny. It's like, it's, it's funny, but um, I'm unsure. I don't know. I'm figuring out how I feel about it first. 
so fascinating. Okay, we, we've been gone for a while, so let's get to the main, the, the main, main course. course. Yes. So Tell it became, yeah, it became number one, and you decided at some point to actually open. You had to open for one night. So how did you make that decision? Yeah. So uh, um, I guess I was. Um, I got to number one on the first of November, two thousand seventeen. You can go on the Wayback Machine and check all that out if you like. I believe you, but thanks. Although I guess I shouldn't, since you are full of shit. <laughs> I'm full of shit. I really, really am. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, okay. yeah, I wouldn't believe a word that I say. Um, but uh, yeah, so on the first of November, two thousand seventeen, I it got to number one, which was crazy. And for me, that uh, kind of felt like the end of the story. And I was like, well, here we go. You know. I've done this. This is this is nuts. But you know, the public had other ideas, and the calls didn't stop, and all all that kind of thing. And uh, you know, I kind of drove me insane answering the phone and saying "fully booked" so much that one day I just decided, like, holy fuck, yes, you can have a table this this Friday, sure. <laughs> and it felt so it felt so good. And then yeah, in I feel like, and it was in that moment when I was just like this is the end of this story this is actually the imp- the more impressive thing it's like you can create a reality reality online but can you do it in real life like will people believe the, the what they read online enough is it going to be compelling enough for me to convince them that this collection of damp chairs outside my awful shack is the best restaurant in London. So how, how, how did you brainwash them in person? <laughs> <laughs> a few tools, right? Distraction was important. So I had quite, uh, there's like this David Lynch video, music video called like Crazy Clown Time. And it's so weird. I think he's just basically freestyling and then stuff that he freestyled, he's made into a video where it actually happens. And I, I don't know why, but I, I I was talking about this the other day and my brother was, and then me and my brother were like, oh shit, I actually think this is what I had in mind when I was trying to put, get the vibe of the shed. And um, basically it was like, I wanted all the stuff to be re- referential towards all the stuff that had been written in the reviews I'd had people write to me. So like, for example, the food I, in those reviews was, 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 was called homely always. So basically my idea, cause I grew up eating microwavable ready meals was to like, serve the people microwave ready <laughs> meals god i um, love it so much uh, and uh, but i i dressed up the ready meals to look like fancy food <laughs> and uh yeah another thing so for example a lot of the, the the reviews mention how like you know the restaurant was michelin star quality but had a farmyard feel to it <laughs> so i basically decided to um empty a wendy house do you guys have wendy houses no what is that it's like a, a small, it's like a dollhouse, Jesus Christ. Okay. Like a small playhouse that kids play in. That's like a small little f- shed yeah, that you yeah, have in yeah. the garden. Uh-huh. What is the word for that? Okay. Yeah, like yeah. a little playhouse for children. Uh, yeah. I emptied this, this, this playhouse of all the kids' toys in it and all that sort of stuff and got rid of all the crap that I'd accumulated in there over the two years I'd been living in the shed. And um, I f- emptied it and filled it with um, chickens. <laughs> live chickens but i hired a chicken handler <laughs> and, he br- and he had chickens over because i wanted it to be like uh, lobsters at a fancy restaurant you know pick your chicken oh no um, bearing in mind at the time we were the number one rated like vegan restaurant in london <laughs> <laughs> which is no shade on vegan at all i'm a vegetarian but like um it's, it was just funny like the idea of having things that were all i put some fake blood on the side of the shed and um down by where the chickens were <laughs> 
and uh, just like having stuff that was slight that wasn't so disconcerting that people would leave but it was something that people would would bring their it would you know they, they would, would focus on and um <laughs> so yeah the other thing i had a dj there who was um playing the sound of a restaurant um, <laughs> like ambient restaurant noises <laughs> wait let's go yeah. let's go back though because people complained right about the chickens because it was a vegan they didn't complain no one complained no one said anything no, no. one complained no one complained about the blood on the yeah, side of the I window did a li- only a little touch of it you'd have to look and I don't okay. think the customers gotcha. were vegan. I, in fact, none of the customers we had were vegan. It just so happened to be also ranked the number one vegan restaurant. Did you did you serve them all vegan food? <laughs> or no, yeah, it had cheese I served. In, in fact, no, it was the number one ve- vegetarian restaurant. Sorry. Oh, oh, okay, got it, got it, got it. All the food was vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, vegan's difficult. It is difficult, but the thing is, with they were microwave already meals, and we were just when I was handing them down, we were saying, you know, this is. <laughs> comfort because we feel like you uh, you're that kind of person and i'm just judging your mood and figuring that out and i put down a plate and say namaste namaste and disappear <laughs> <laughs> yeah the dj playing the sound of a restaurant and i had the one of the original images i had for the when i came up with the idea of doing opening it was like two people eating on the roof but it looking like very in silhouette and it looking fancy but like clearly it didn't um, but uh, yeah, that was so there were people eating on the roof of the shed, like with a table and chair set up and everything, which is so silly. Um, but were they plants? Uh, did you? They were plants. You, okay, got it. So got yeah, it. one of the things I should yeah, one of the really really crucial um, things about pulling this all off was over half of the customers at the shed were um, were like actors who were loudly proclaiming how delicious everything was. Um, <laughs> okay. And that was, you know, trying to recreate those same psychological pressures that convinces, uh, you know, you to, you know, well, tr- probably the way that something like TripAdvisor works or like herd behavior. Why do you start clapping when some, when everyone claps? It's like, let's try and do that. Uh, yeah, so the night came around and we had eight real customers and uh, two of them who were like locals who'd been trying to book in for like three months. Um, we had uh, four who were from like a very big fashion agency who legally I can't mm-hmm. talk about. Um, oh, shit. And, yeah, they, they, didn't, they didn't like it. They're the ones who've got blurred faces in the documentary. And then a table of two who were from sunny California and they were on their honeymoon. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. Wait, the ones that you can't talk about, did they like the restaurant, but then they were embarrassed yes. later or were they pissed when they were there? The first one. First. They, were, they liked the restaurant. Oh, they shit. bought it totally. And then later on. Won it. And yes. so they were embarrassed. Oh, I love it. It's totally the emperor has no clothes. Yeah. Do you like, have that yes. book? You have that book there, right? <laughs> Did you get that? <laughs> you got that? Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, we had the table of two who were locals, the table of four who were the people I can't talk about, and then the table two who were a couple from sunny California. And, you know, I want to serve them. The, kind of one of the moments that kind of sums it up for me was when I served them their main, and I put down this, like, tr- this like mac and cheese microwave. Um, no one knew we were using microwaves, by the way. We had to be really careful with that. Uh, yeah, I put it down in front of them and, you know, I grind, grinded some truffle out on top of it and uh, said, you know, namaste. It disappeared to a part of the restaurant where I could see them, but they couldn't see me. And the lady who sort of described herself as a foodie um, got out her phone to take a photo for Instagram of the food, um, looked at the food through her phone, 
camera and then just put away a phone without taking a photo <laughs> <laughs> um it was morbid and that that was kind of the vibe and i was kind of really worried um when it got to the end of the night and i i, I was kind of seeing out the last customers and they didn't i just didn't think that they looked very happy and the guy called me and said you know can i have a word please and i was like oh god jesus okay he's not only is he probably going to shout very loudly in my face but he's probably you know i may hit me (laughs) you know i uh, and also i've not managed to do the thing i'd set out to do i didn't manage to convince these people that this was london's best restaurant and that was kind of i was kind of uh annoyed about that and kind of upset about it but then he said you know can i have a word and i said "Yeah, yeah yeah of course yeah and he said you know about tonight now that we've been once, is it going to be easier for us to book again next time? <laughs> and I shit you not, he tried to book again, and yeah, that that was like that was like an ending for me. That that felt like wow. you know, wow, we really do. Maybe we do uh, trust more what we read online than what we put in our mouths. Right. <laughs> so. Right. There are just so many mind-boggling elements of this and the fact that people believe what they want to believe. Like the psychology of all of it is mm-hmm. so fascinating. But more importantly, how did you cover the sounds of the microwave? Ah, okay. So the DJ had a trigger on his desk of a, of a microwave ding. <laughs> so they thought he was so doing... So he had a ding. So that they were like... So he would just keep on dinging while the restaurant noise was going on. He'd go ding, 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 ding. And whatever, especially using it, so it sounded like it was a. Uh, so it sounded like it was all intentional. Oh my god! Did they pay you to eat dinner there? And what did you do with their money? No, I didn't, okay. I didn't want to get sued, right, so I. I had the original idea where I was going to try and charge them all like thousands and thousands of pounds, but then I thought that's not cool. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I just said it was an. I said because basically I said that we we were making a promotional film for our website on the night explaining the cameras and um i just said yeah so everything tonight is obviously on the house and the menu is a little bit different tonight so uh yeah i uh it was kind of yeah that was that was how we got around that that's interesting too if people would what kind of mindset that put them in too like if i knew i was going to like the best restaurant and it was free i don't know would i be in a mood to love everything or not I think people are more likely to be critical, right? When they're in it for, I don't know, actually. I have no idea, but that's yeah. a good question. And so I guess just really quickly, because we've been going for too long, but uh, so what were sort of like the repercussions from the article? So, of course, uh, it sounds like a lot of restaurants have reached out. <laughs> you had at least a few attendees who asked to be blurred. <laughs> yes. But were there any other you know, fascinating or surprising reactions? Basically, from doing so much press, it, which was kind of interesting. I loved doing it. It was great because I was really proud of the work. Um, but it was kind of interesting that you had all these vastly different um, countries and cultures who were interviewing me and engaging with this story. So, for example, like Japanese TV did an hour-long documentary about the shed <laughs> and me, and uh, I trended across Japanese Twitter because they hated me so much. And like, wow, um, Brazilian TV uh, did uh, Globo TV in Brazil, which is their biggest channel, did a big segment on it. We had German TV, Swiss TV, Chinese TV, all these different TV all over the globe. And in that kind of immediate reaction point, the most interesting one being um, Singaporean Parliament used it as a as a thing to. Form new laws that they were making about fake news, 
which is wow. which is nuts. That is genuinely uh, the, probably the most crazy thing. But but just coming back to the interviews, um, as I was, you know, kind of had all these different, insanely different, insanely culturally different places all over the world, and I was doing the interviews for them, and what I realised is that they were asking me kind of the exact same questions, mm-hmm. and um, that kind of fascinated me. And I thought, God, I may as well not even be here. Huh. And I kind of that kind of got me thinking about how abstract we are for, from who we are nowadays anyway and you know on the internet like we have different versions of ourselves that we that we that we play online you know you wouldn't post the same thing on Instagram as you do on Twitter do you you, you mm-hmm. play a different version of yourself you have like a funny you on, on Twitter you have a sexy you on Instagram the business you on LinkedIn or whatever and and basically so this like the idea of being abstract from who we are anyway and these having these different versions of yourself, that kind of thing. I basically, I decided the experiment that I wanted to do uh, off the back of the shed was to send uh, fake versions of myself on TV all over the world. Yeah, so I, but these, How? Di- basically I auditioned people who had basically blonde hair and looked a bit like me and um, got people who were better than me in really specific ways. So I had like this model guy who's like, who I called Sexy Uber he went on Indian TV for me and he was great, you know, off the back of it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I got like, um, I got, I'll send you the documentary. And you just made sure that he knew all the details exactly. of the prank. Um, so yeah, he got, but he got like business opportunities in India, like loads of new fans in India. Like he did a better job of me than I could do. Then I had another guy who had a, who had a degree in anthropology. The BBC wanted to do like a very stuffy kind of moralistic discussion about um, fake reviews and uh, you know something that i an idiot can offer anything to however if i'm to optimize myself and get a better version of myself i got this guy who's got this degree in anthropology or smart uber as i call him he went on the bbc as me and then he did so well that he got three follow-up interviews on different bbc stations as me again and um uh, yeah i had other things i i, I had um what else was that? Bulgarian TV. I had this completely charming guy who went on Bulgarian TV as me, and the the ratings for that were crazy. And then the most silly one was uh, was is right now <laughs> that we're not talking to you. Yeah, you're not talking to me. This but, is this but is really. A will we ever know? Are, like, do, is, are we talking this to someone Uber who's with not the radio Uber voice? Right now? Yeah, it wouldn't matter, would it? I've optimized myself as a brand, and uh, this is uh, yeah, this yeah. is radio Uber. Um, but like, yeah. So I. Um, I sent, yeah, the one of them was like basically Australia's biggest breakfast show wanted to do a bit about this Peviani uh, jeans thing that I'd done. And um, they, I'd been on the show six months before and with the exact same journalist in the same studio in front of the biggest audience in Australia, I sent basically, it was actually my brother who is just a better looking version of me. Um, and um, I, sh- I bleached his hair and sent him on and I sent him on in a pair of dungarees, sorry, I sent him on a pair of overalls with, with nothing on underneath them in this studio. And, and it, literally, it's cutting from footage of when I was last on that show in the exact same seat, cutting from, from visuals of my face to visuals of, the, of him. Clearly not me, but no one said anything. It completely they worked. They thought you had plastic surgery and, um, or something. <laughs> yeah, though they, oh my gosh, will you, I think they would just, will you send us these links? Yeah, of course. That was the latest documentary I'd done. It's like, <laughs> it kind of came out. Yeah, of course. I did a documentary about this whole thing that came out about three weeks ago, um, which is done okay. It's like sort of five five to ten million people have watched it now. Um, but this is good. That's a lot of people. 
Yeah, it is. I can't. Kinda... So you had your brother, and no one knew that it wasn't. No, you. no one knew across the board. No one, no one uh, clicked that it wasn't um, that any of it wasn't me. And it, it was. I, I kind of. I guess the thing that I really like to do, trying to get into this towards a rappy place again. <laughs> sorry, Matt. Um, was uh, the thing that I like to do. It's just like it's really interesting to see the values of online play out in the real world, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I yes. just think that, like, yes, so, that is like what absolutely. we look at in this podcast. Yes, exactly. So, so, so I think, and that I think is something that millennials specifically find fascinating because we have a memory and an understanding of a world where there was no internet and we didn't rely on it wholly, but we also completely understand the internet because we, after the age of sort of. 10 or whatever or 15 or 16 17 we've ha- we've been we've had the internet and we've lived in the internet from that point so i feel like the generation before us are too abstract from the internet and then the generation after us gen z not speak i don't know if anyone's a gen z here but um i'm not sure no we talk about this a lot that we're like the final years to yeah. like our like there's just like a couple years in which we remember the world we yes. inherited it, like the you know the analog versus yeah. the digital and it's insane and that, like so they, yeah. but those gen zers they they don't know a world without the internet so i think that we straddle the boards between like we understand what was before as you were just saying and we understand this too because this is where we're headed but yeah so it was kind of interesting and that was something that now i look back i definitely didn't think of it at the time but it's something that i i definitely am really interested in i find Play, letting the values of the online world play out in real life really funny and interesting and i feel like that m- maybe is a thread through what i do but mainly what i do is fucking nonsense and sorry for wasting everyone's time <laughs> <laughs> i have one more thought because i know i'm telling everyone to wrap it up but every as ali said we talk about that concept constantly on this mm. show and it's really important to this discussion. And what is occurring to me now are other things in media that fooled lots of mm. people, like War of the Worlds, yeah. Orson Welles, that literally convinced a generation that aliens were invading Shit, yeah. via the radio. And and I think Ali or Jen mentioned it earlier, the Emperor Has No Clothes, which is a folk mm. tale, but it is speaking to this idea that like, if lots of people or people in power just say something is real, then lots of people will just believe it. Uh, we are obviously seeing that in politics now. So in a lot of ways, this is not new. True. But the internet might be like accelerating it to a very uh, scary degree. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that that's, uh, I think that that's actually a really great point. I think that, yeah, the War of the Worlds thing is such an interesting example. I've never thought about that. But the, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that we are entering uh, the internet. Uh, in my in my eyes, has different values to the world that total different values to the world that uh, and people different people excel in the internet world than would excel in the in the real real world. I guess it uh-huh. is the real world. I just think it's like a totally mind fucking new per, new frontier yeah. of the, these yeah. sort of phenomena. Like, so the show that Jen and I performed for many years in New York is we would perform internet text live on stage. And like, as you were saying, the show itself is comedy and it's nonsense. But what we were looking at is like digital identity in the modern age and how Mm. everyone is so willing to share their life story online, not really thinking of the people on the other side of the screen who are reading it. And then similarly, the people who are reading it aren't considering that it's a real person on the other side. So like if we read a Reddit thread 
that was clearly written by like a prepubescent boy, we would do it as like two old ladies in a nursing home or something. So we would like mess with digital identity. So, so I think That's it's correct. just like a whole new world um, in terms of like, I feel, and I feel like things are escalating in terms of what we believe. And of course we're seeing it play out in so many different ways with like echo chambers. And I, I don't know, it, we've been going on too long, but I could, I could talk about this all Yeah, time. it's so interesting. Um, I, I, yeah. And I'll be in North, I'll be in New York in a few weeks. I'll text you guys. You should text us. We would love to meet you. We assume it's not really going to be you, but that's cool. <laughs> so. yes. Yeah, but I'm I'm excited to meet your American yeah, exactly. version. This is the thing, guys. Um, that is that it is me. It is me. Yeah, well, right, right. I've just, How do we know? I've just, I've we don't know. know. I mean, even if it's not me, it's me. Yeah, I've just optimized me. <laughs> What is me? I don't know if we're talking to or not. You're just talking to a toaster with a bit of blonde hair on it. (laughs) Well, I could talk to you all day, but we have to go. We have to leave you. Whoever you are, we've got to go. But this was incredible. So thank you so much, whoever you are, for joining us. Thank you so much, guys. I've really enjoyed this. Well... We got to keep this short and snappy, friends, because that was probably one of our longest interviews. And I don't mean to choose favorites, but I'm going to choose favorites and say that was quite possibly my favorite interview I've ever done. And I'm going to say, like, that was even crazier than Chuck Tingle in terms of, like, oh, <gasps> Allie. How dare Bite your you? tongue. Bite your tongue. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't. Um, I don't no, want no. whoever we just interviewed because I don't know if it was Uba to get a big head, but like that is all of that was like creative genius. Uh, I think it, it may have even surpassed Chuck, who I also loved. I mean, I'm just like my mind is blown. But to be fair, we do have a bias towards this kind of work because it is uh, in line very Our much work, in line. That's true. Yeah, with what we were doing for a very long time. But this is super fascinating, and I think. Um, I I don't think people are aware of how all of this works necessarily, that there are, you know, actually people writing fake things. And um, so like how deep he got into it is so, so interesting to me. And the fact that it is performance art, but it also had really real repercussions is fascinating. So yeah, well done, Uba. He is a crusader. <laughs> Just like the layers upon layers of what is real and not real is insane. And I, w- I want to look up later. We didn't, we, we, I mean, we were out of time, but the Singapore piece that he mentioned about how they used his stunt to assess fake, you know, how to prevent fake news. Like, I mean, it's just mind boggling. Anyway, listeners, I I think that that interview kind of spoke for itself. I don't know if you want to add anything, Chen, but I feel like we got to wrap it up. Nah, I think, you know, you guys hopefully enjoyed it, but we realize it's lengthy. So we're going to skedaddle into the sunset now. Um, That's what's happening. There's a sunset and we got to skedaddle. That's the real reason. We just want to skedaddle into the sunset. And be in touch. You know, we always love to hear from you. So uh, look for us on Twitter. I'm at June Bugger. I'm at Allie Gold, A-L-L-I-G-O-L-D. June Bugger, J-O-O-N-B-U-G-G-E-R. Thanks, girl. Thanks. Email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. If we like the email, we're certainly listening. We'll respond to it, but we might even share it on the podcast. If you leave us a voicemail and call us, we may play the voicemail on the podcast. So if you want to give us a phone call, that number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. And then you can join a whole conversation that we're having with listeners of the show in our Discord server. That's discord.gg slash 2G1P. You can't find that if you Google it. So I'll say it one more time, discord.gg slash 2G1P. We pop into the conversation. You can suggest show topics there and we are, you know, listening. 
Um, and then, Ellie, if they want to make a little contribution, what can they do? You can go to patreon.com slash 2G1P. Please do. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Thanks.